Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, where we discuss all things related to outdoor and nature photography. On today's episode, we discuss all things related to macro and close-up photography when outdoors, including flowers, insects, and more. Make sure to please leave a review on your listening platform of choice and to follow us on Instagram at All Outdoors Photography Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 19 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and we're talking uh, about a field that we really haven't talked about, but it's really a large part of nature photography. Yeah, we're going to talk about macro and close-up photography, everything related to that you know, scope of what we do. At least I, I do quite a bit. I don't know about you, Henry. but so, Yeah, I would say I do a good amount. Yeah, okay, cool. It's something, yeah, I've definitely done more and more of over the years, and it's honestly, yeah, it is a big part of what I do out in the field. I would say for me, out of like landscapes, wildlife, and macro, macro is the least, but I still do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a different kind of um, it's a different kind of aspect, I guess, of outdoor photography because it's like it's much more slowed down and thoughtful. Um, at least for me, like I always have it mounted on a tripod and stuff, and so it's kind of like, it's kind of like landscape, I guess, photography in the in that kind of case, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a different mindset for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess what we can do is start off by just defining what is macro, like the word itself, and it means anything very large in scale, scope, or capability. Um, so what we're talking about with this, um, it's probably just going to be mainly really, really small things that we see out in nature. Um, so stuff like flowers, uh, dragonflies, damselflies, butterflies, moth, uh, mushrooms, lichen, fungi, water droplets, anything of that. That's a lot of stuff, but like it, you know, it covers a whole different. It's like its own genre, really. And um, yeah, so it's just anything small that we find out there that we really want to enlarge in the frame and create this, uh, what they call a one-to-one ratio magnification. For sure. I think sometimes people get confused by the word macro because it's it's not micro, but it's macro. People get, or at least I've met some new photographers that just don't understand what I'm talking about when I say I do some (laughs) macro photography. It's definitely a confusing word. Yeah, yeah. They see it and I think it might be like a typo or something or it's just, yeah, it's Uh like, what does that mean? It's basically... So yeah, basically what we're saying is that macro is, it's anything small, but we're going to enlarge it inside the the frame of the photograph. And yeah, it's not really technically an enlargement, but it's just making it look bigger to our eyes. It's magnifying Mm. it. And there's some very complicated like technical aspects. I know with lenses, like magnification ratio and all that. Uh, I would, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like macro is almost the most technical field of photography. Like all the mm-hmm. focus distancing and all the lens looks and stuff and just very complicated. I'd say maybe second place, but first place for me would be Astro, I'd say, nighttime. Yeah, true. Yeah. With like the, it's you very... like rotate your camera and stuff if you want to get a long <laughs> exposure and all kinds you, of stuff. If you like pony up for one of those Star Tracker things on a tripod head, it's just insane. And then you're just breaking it down to different details. But anyways, that'll be a whole nother episode hopefully soon. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, macro is definitely a technical one. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, I know, with, like I said, just like an, just a second ago, I just said it was that I use a tripod. And so that helps me slow down um, and really focus. I do manual focus most of the time with it. And just it helps me compose it a little better than handheld. And I can slow down that shutter to bring in more light, of course. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you pretty well versed on like macro wise, the technical aspects or do you just kind of, um, yeah, I mean, it really just, I I always say that, like, I really don't know much about my camera and that sounds silly. Like you might look at my photographs and I don't know, you may say like, wow, you must be really knowledgeable. And I'm like, I'm not really like, I just have like a certain like workflow I kind of mastered, but like, that's just what works for me. And it's not necessarily what's. Like, I don't know everything, of course, and you really, you truly can't, honestly. Um, but yeah, I just, I, what I use for my setup is just an extension tube and just photograph it that. I don't even have like a dedicated uh, macro lens or any of that sort. So it's nothing flashy or fancy. You know, I'm just simply, like I said, tripod that um, I use a small telephoto, like a 75 to 300. Um, and I usually keep it real wide aperture, like F 5.6 and just go for there with the rest of the settings. So could you basically explain to the audience like what an extension tube is? Because I know, at least for me when I was beginning, it was kind of really confusing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's 
Personally, for me, I would say if anyone wants to get in the macro, maybe after listening to this episode, perhaps, I would say to get an extension tube, or at least even a set of them, like a set of three or however many you get. Um, an extension tube is, uh, it's, think of it as like a little bridge in between your lens and your camera body. And it's literally just a hollowed out piece of, uh, has lens contacts, and it has a little switch so you can quick release it, you know, to you know, mount it and, you know, demount it from your tripod, I mean, excuse me, your camera and your lens. And so, um, yeah, it literally just has a pair of uh, lens contacts. And it's all it does is it helps bring the distance in between your lens and your camera so that you can zoom in closer. So it's basically just like a, almost like a mirror, but it's not a mirror, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a weird, I- it's a weird like piece of tech because it looks very, very low key. Like yeah. not anything, you know, special and they're very affordable too. So I would say that's a good like gateway into this kind of field if you want to. And there's definitely different types you can get too. Like you, you mentioned the contacts. Um, isn't that for the autofocus so you can maintain that? With the yeah, extension tips? yeah, it's, I, I believe it's for, I don't know everything, like I said, but like, I believe it's just for, so the, uh, the lens and the camera can still register and read each other. Cause like, oh, you like the exposure and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When I say like a bridge that what I mean is like, it's electronically speaking, bridging those two. So they still work, but it like adds that extra, um, I guess aspect. So you can still zoom in f- closer than you normally could comfortably. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and you can also get like super cheap extension tubes. I'm actually, I've never owned some, but I've been looking for them. You can get super cheap ones where it's literally just a tube, like literally mm-hmm. just a piece of plastic <laughs> that mounts to the lens and then, uh, you know, just extends it. But I, I would definitely suggest like the ones you're talking about, Ryan, with the, especially even if it doesn't have autofocus, I think definitely the live view, like exposure registry is pretty essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I would honestly say you could get a third party set of them or just one tube and that would work just fine. Um, I actually, personally, I use a Canon 25 millimeter, uh, which we can touch upon the focal length thing issue in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, you don't even have to get OEM, I don't believe, because like I said, it's nothing really special or flashy. I mean, it's not a lens. It's not a camera body. This is kind of something that's fulfilling the role in between those two, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I really don't understand the focal length thing, so I would definitely. You know, I, I, I honestly, maybe I should have done my research before this episode, but like, I don't either, but I just know the 25 millimeter, I believe can bring it in closer, if that makes sense. I believe that's the only real like thing with that. So like the longer you go, the. Yeah, the, the, phys- the more physically closer you can get to your subject. Okay. So it's it's slightly different than like a lens focal length, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Yeah, but like there's different types of them. Like uh, I know Canon also has a 12 mil- millimeter um, that works the same way. Uh, honestly, these are more comparable to like something like a teleconverter because it kind of fulfills that same. It's in between physically between the lens and the camera, but it's kind of doing the opposite. Instead of zooming out farther, yeah. you're actually mm-hmm. you know pulling in tighter and closer. So have you heard of the? Uh, the flipping over the lens method? Uh, no, I don't think so. What's that? So um, this is like a super budget thing you can do if you can't even like afford extension tubes. You can order this. Um, it literally attaches like the front thread of your lens, like where you put a filter. It attaches that to the sensor or to the mount. And then the back is extending out. And it actually still works. And it completely changes the focal length. I watched a video. It was like the 50 millimeter became like a 200 millimeter, like macro lens or something. It was crazy. Um, So that's another technique used by people. And that doesn't, uh, it gives kind of a weird look, but um, some macro photographers like that. So I would also consider checking that out as well. That's, that's very strange. So it mounts on the front of the lens. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like where you would attach a filter, you're actually mounting that. <laughs> but Super it's like strange, but um, yeah, it, but it's like the same size as like a regular extension tube, or is it like filter size? That's just strange to me. Uh, well, it basically extends it, so like you attach it to the filter and then it extends out so it can fit on your camera mount. Okay. So you buy it for your basic filter sizes. <laughs> That's so strange. I I never heard of such a thing. I don't, I don't know why, like, maybe I'll do that for like a video or something. That could be a good idea. Just yeah. 
do do like a little challenge for yourself and like walk uh-huh. around a park or something and see see what you can come up with with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's I mean, with macro, it's just so crazy how many weird techniques people use to get these images. It's crazy. No people <laughs> use the two same like setups for their macro. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But um yeah, these extension tubes are nice cuz it's like there's like I said they're really inexpensive too cuz there's no sets of like optics in them. Um, besides the magnification that you choose. So I think the one I have, the 25 millimeter is like 125 bucks. It's very affordable. Um, and it comes like a little carry pouch too, but I just, I use it so much now. It's I'm, I feel spoiled by it that like, honestly, I don't even, I don't feel the need to really get a dedicated macro lens, um, at least just yet. But I feel like the only reason to really get one of those is the, um, the faster lens, I guess. So, you know, the wider F stop. Yeah, uh, would so on that like seventy five to three hundred, for example, are you always out at three hundred or more like a hundred or where do you usually? Um, it's well the, the uh, kind of the general kind of grace period I guess of using that zoom is that you can kind of choose it more. So I can zoom in. Yeah, I've done like all over across the board really with that lens. Okay. Um, yeah, I've done like up to three hundred before um, just to try it. And yeah, it does drop out the background very very well. Um, but most of the time I'd say, yeah, I'm usually about the hundred, 150 range, um, just wherever it needs to, you know, autofocus just right. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, the nice thing about that zoom lens is that, like I said, you can kind of have that, there's a little like space in between, if that makes sense, but you're still really close up to the subject. True. Yeah. And I feel like the extension of the zoom lens as well, kind of, it's kind of like a built-in extension tube almost. Well, I guess the focal distance lessens, so it kind of evens out, but, uh, mm-hmm still an extra little movement i guess yeah i think it's just like the farther zoomed out you are the more it's gonna feel like it's like a macro photograph Mm -hmm. yeah i know at least for me i'm using the 24 to 240 i just usually go all the way into 240 uh, especially for flowers i just find that gives me the best look and it i'm surprised It, it was just a it's basically a kit lens but it has a really good minimum focusing distance like i used to own a 7200 f4 and the focus distance on that was terrible like i had to go way back and this one i can get like right up on it so it's really nice hmm. that's interesting yeah so would you ever buy a set of them then like uh extension tubes yeah uh i'm yeah i think i probably will pretty soon um either that or i have seen some pretty cheap macro lenses like I know um, extension tube would create a similar look, but uh, I was also thinking I could use it for like portraits a little bit. So I found like a non L series, like a hundred millimeter two point eight. Um, I feel like that could be cool. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've actually. It's funny we could talk about that maybe later on in the episode, but um, you can technically use it for whatever. Like you can use it as like a let's say a traditional lens, and it, it creates some weird effects. Um, I really can't think of an example I have, but like I've just tried a few like test shots and it, it creates some weird kind of effects. Um, we like point at like, let, let's say a traditional landscape, something that's actually like far away. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. To mess around with at least. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's really no negatives, right? I think it's just pretty much similar look. It's just when you get close is when the real differences start yeah. to show up. Oh yeah. Yeah. The lens still reads it like it would normally, but it's just kind of like, Makes, I don't know how to describe it. Like the perspective of the image looks kind of strange. Like I've tried mounting it to a wide angle lens, an extension tube, and it's like, it, it, it does it, you know, it fulfills the job, but it's just kind of a strange look to it. Um, oh. But it's something to experiment with, I think. I mean, I've seen a lot of macro photographers use like vintage, like really wide lenses and with extension tubes, and they get super close up, and it creates like the, like you're saying, like the weirdest look, but it's, it's still definitely very cool. And you can still technically define it as macro, you know, in mm-hmm. such a way, because it is that one-to-one magnification where everything's really, you know, close up and true to life. You know, it's pretty neat, but um, I will say, yeah, the reason why I keep talking up these tubes is that they're like a really nice way to get into it um, if you're a beginner. And if you buy a set of them, they're more than likely going to be compatible because they'll be the same brand. And you can actually stack them too, which provides that more greater depth of field too. So it's just something to consider maybe if you're like going to shop around for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the macro certification itself, it's all about that magnification ratio. So a true macro lens is one, one by one or mm-hmm. you know, one to one macro. 
So if you're if you're looking for a dedicated macro lens, make sure it's actually one to one macro. Because I know there's a lot of kit lenses that will say they're macro or something. Yeah, uh, but they're really not. <laughs> it's just a complete scam. It's it, yeah. I guess it's one way to put it. It's like a. It's it kind of is scammy because it's like it simulates it. It's not true macro. And it sounds like we're being purist over here, but like no, it's like factually that's what it is, not and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's just something to try out because you could try like a side by side comparison. Let's say you use the same lens, same camera body, and you have an extension tube, and without you take the same subject, you know, let's say mounted on a tripod head on. And you're going to notice the difference. It's going to be very obvious because you're going to be like, well, this one's really pulled in closer. Okay. So do you use a tripod for your macro photography? Yeah. I already said that. I think. <laughs> um, yeah. I pretty much use really? it for, okay. I, I think I said it twice, but <laughs> it's all right. We're, we're, we're getting into a lot of information already um, about gear and stuff. Um, yeah. So for, I would say for 95% of what my macro is, I do use a tripod. There's a few times I'll experiment with handheld. Um, but like I said, honestly, it's like, I like to have that slower shutter unless if there's wind that might move, like the, let's say the floral subject around. Um, most of the time I like to have that slower shutter just setting. So it makes it much, um, nicer exposure than if I was shooting handheld cause you have camera shake. Um, and you know, when I'm using the small telephone lens with the extension tube, it's, it protrudes pretty far out from the camera. So handholding that and getting it. So it's pin sharp is like, next to near impossible it's kind of it's not heavy but like you know what i mean where it's like the slice camera shakes just gonna throw it off so i try to use a tripod sure. whenever I, I, i'm pretty much the same way um one thing you mentioned is kind of the longer shutter speeds on the tripod you do have to be careful though um because when you're shooting that small of a subject a major problem could be wind so yeah there's even a tiny bit of wind um a longer exposure will definitely create some blur in the image you do have to be careful with that uh -huh. um, and that's that's kind of a good transition into camera settings. So what on a normal day, what would be your ideal macro settings? Um, the wider, the better in terms of aperture. Um, but like you don't necessarily need to be at the farthest end. Um, so like, let's say I, I believe my the, the telephoto in question I'm using most of the time with my macro that I've been talking about. Um, it has a variable aperture because it's not really like a pro series lens, but it's still one that I've had for like almost five years now and counting. And uh, I think it's about f5 to 5.6. So at the 300, the farther range zoomed out, it's going to be about 5.6. Obviously, if you're close up to the 100 range uh, with the focal length, then it's going to be around the 5. Um, but like honestly, I would keep it about like a 6.3, a 7.1, an f8. And that's, that's a good rule of thumb, not even with just macro, but like any lens. Because you usually say the sharpest point uh, with your aperture with the lens is going to be a few stops uh, lower. Um, so, you know, it's just something to kind of keep in mind. So I'll, I'll be usually around the F eight, maybe F nine. And that's still really with that. Do you, do you ever go beyond that? Like, do you ever, not, situations I don't really, I don't really need to, like, I just don't find the, the point in doing that because, you know, you want to get that nice background. So it does look like a macro photograph. You can, you know, kind of simulate it, but like, it just doesn't look quite the same if you're past maybe 10, you know? Mm -hmm and stuff like that. So I usually keep it around, you know, like I said, F 6.3, let's say to F nine, nothing, nothing really above 10. I just don't see the point, um, mm -hmm. quite frankly, because, you know, anything too wide and gets really soft. Anything yeah, that's you get too, that annoying background and stuff. It's just kind of undesirable. Yeah. It, it gets too soft if it's way too wide. And if it's way too narrow of an aperture, then it's like, you just have so much of the background. Like you said, Henry, it's like, it just gets kind of cluttered that way. Unless if you, let's say compose it, to make it look better. But even then you just, you can't avoid stuff like that if you're doing like a flower or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say I'm probably around F eight to F 16. Now it is slightly different for me because keep in mind, you've got like a, a smaller sensor. So your equivalent mm -hmm. is about similar to mine. It's kind of complicated, but yeah. So I think we both achieve similar levels of like depth of field. Yeah. Um, but I'm not one of those people that'll go like down to like F32 to get everything in focus. Like you said, that's just ugly in my opinion. And it's just, <laughs> you have to bump up your ISO and just a lot of problems comes with that. Yeah. It, it's the exposure triangle. And it's like, you have to trade off things. And I'm like, well, you know, I want a wider aperture and all that stuff. Keep the ISO as low as you can. Shutter can be kind of variable. But like I said, I try to, nowadays I try to plan going on a windless day just so I don't have to worry about wind. Even the slightest breeze, like you said, would just throw any the smallest little flower or something off 
you know, it's just, it's bound to happen that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, with, I know like with like birds, you probably have like a certain ISO level you won't tolerate. Is there like one with flowers that you won't go above, like say on a windy day, for example? Um, probably, well, with my camera, it's a Canon 80D. Um, I would say about 800 is my max. That's my max. Cause you know how on like DSLRs, I believe all of them have it. Um, you can set where your max ISO is. I'm not sure if yours had that. Are you talking like minimum or maximum? The maximum. Okay. Uh, the- yeah, I, I don't really use it that setting but yeah mine has that okay yeah i have mine set because i did like the noise test and all that stuff and i found 800 in like a decent lighting condition it starts to create noise after that especially past a thousand um so i try to keep it definitely below 800 i try not to keep it at that 800 um i try to i mean the lower the better obviously so 100 200 is ideal anything in between um 400 is a good threshold too so just anything under eight is really my my goal, I guess. And I usually achieve it because there's usually sufficient amount of light. Yeah. I, my camera is pretty well known for it's like low light. So I, I can go up to like 6,400 and still get good results. Um, <laughs> well, but I, I'm ne- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm never up that high really. I'm, I'm probably similar to you. I, I like to, when I'm doing macro, I like to do it on like a nice sunny day. Um, because I, I like looking for like spots of light to like on flowers, like to really highlight that and really darken the background and emphasize the subject. That's right. I remember, I think we mentioned on a previous episode, like you and me defer on that. Cause I like the really soft light, like a overcast day when I do macro, but you know, you like a bright sunny day, but it's just whatever you want to achieve, I guess, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll shoot on the neutral days, uh, I think for this is kind of like a double negative, I guess, but for like kind of the wider macro scenes, I like more neutral light. Like if I'm capturing mm-hmm. like blades of grass or something, or you know what I mean? Like kind of like a, like a scene of like a bunch of rocks. It's good to have the neutral light. So there's not like bright spots, but like a very, very small, like concentrated area. Okay. It's nice to have like a clear, like spotlight kind of down. Interesting. On that. Yeah, the only re- the only way I could see myself doing that is like if I really drop that background out of focus and creates bokeh on that like kind of that spotlight, kind of like dew drops on a grass, which is another macro thing I've done before. But yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're going after. I, I typically don't like the harsh shadows that like flowers cast on themselves. You know, depending on where the direction the sun is in the sky. Yeah, for sure. Um that could definitely be a problem. Another thing you have to worry about is if it's in a forest, you can even get like trees even casting down on the flowers and stuff and just mm. a lot of problems with that. But I, I uh, find I, I, um, cause I, I would say big time prime time for me with macro is like March and April. If I want to do flowers, let's say, cause spring ephemerals are, you know, bountiful anywhere and they kind of roll out each week. It's kind of like a little schedule that they all do every year. Um, that's pretty consistent. So if you know you're kind of botany and stuff. And so I find with like, if it gets sunny, kind of midday light, and I've been out like all morning, let's say, and if I position myself just right, I can kind of have the sun against my back and I have my shadow casted on the flower. And that can create some interesting results as well. Or just kind of, you're, you're acting kind of as like a diffuser in a way with your back. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get creative sometimes, I think. So that's, that's uh-huh. just something I've learned over time. For sure. And Mac, yeah, macro photography in general is definitely a very creative art. Um, have you mm-hmm. ever used flash to provide some lighting? Yeah, uh, very early on, I would bounce a, an external flash speed light onto my camera. Um, I, I really don't do that anymore. Like I just prefer available light whenever possible. There's very, very rarely in my like, man, I really wish I used flash for that macro photograph. I, I don't think I've ever said that, honestly. Um, but yeah, early, early on, I did experiment with it just to, you know, act almost as like a bounce light or reflector and fill in shadow details, just a small little pop, nothing too insanely powerful. Cause you can set that obviously on your speed light. Um, but one thing is you can actually have that mounted onto the camera hot shoe and you can have it on like one of those like telephone cords, if you've ever seen them and you can kind of position it more so, so you can, you know, do it to the left or right and have a little more creative control over it. Um, so that way it's not just mounted directly on the hot shoe pointed at the you know the flower or whatever 
yeah like even um i've seen like behind the flower before to like create like a nice silhouette even oh yeah um, yeah i also saw one where it was like a, a very subtle amount of flash but they like kind of sh- shown it through the petals so it was like kind of <laughs> reflecting under it it was like super cool there's there's one um, if we talk about composition there's one creative technique I've I've tried maybe once or twice I need to I want to do it some more but um, what you do is if you want to get like in a, you ever seen those like obscured kind of like um, I don't know what you call it like foreground blur I guess and so uh, what you do is you get your macro set up already you point it at some flower let's say and you have a petal or something from another flower directly in front of your camera and then you focus manual focus outside of that and focus on the you know, let's say the background flower that you actually want to be set on. And it creates this kind of hazy look that, you know, if you do it right, I think, and with the right light, let's say, and the right settings, it might kind of look kind of dreamy and ethereal, which could be pretty neat. So something to maybe experiment with. Have you, do you do that often or is it just kind of a. No, I, like I said, it's something that like I've maybe done once or twice when the opportunity arose and it kind of worked out, but, um, it's something I want to try more of, but it's something I just learned from the books I've read and stuff, you know, kind of cool, I guess, compositional technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of subject wise, is there like a, do you prefer flowers, bugs, grasses water yes <laughs> yes yes all the above uh well we're all outdoors here um yes uh-huh. yeah so um i'd say the biggest thing is like wildflowers um i'll go to like a botanical garden near me there's a few in my kind of area of ohio which is very i'm very fortunate for so you go in like the spring summer uh, early fall and you get tons of different subjects and i could spend hours you know i spent entire days out at these places that are you know, less than a mile long. Like they're not big gardens most of the time, but there's just so much to see. It's jam packed in this one spot. That's just like so much color, so many different varieties, um, both cultivated and wildflowers. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of fun to learn about them, um, experiment with techniques. And, you know, most of the time they're really not that busy. So you can kind of just go at your own pace and just kind of, you know, relax and learn your techniques and stuff and hone on them. Um, other than that, um, I do a lot of, I have done a lot, at least in 2019, I did tons of, I would do dragonflies and damselflies, um, which are, they belong to the order Odonata and they, they're, as you can imagine, very, very hard to do. <laughs> I've seen in-flight shots, but they're very difficult to achieve because they're just so small and buzz around and stuff, but they're a lot of fun um, to learn about because you just think they all look the same, but like you really get these macro photographs and you're like, you pick out the different details they are different, the species, the colors, and he, it's, I don't know, he just makes you really appreciate them more, I think, honestly. Um, and then same with butterflies and moths. I do those tons too as well. Um, and yeah, water droplets. If it's after a rainy day or something and you get like a nice leaf or something on the ground, uh, that, that presents a great opportunity as well for macro. Do they, uh, the insects particularly, do they stay still or do you have to like use no. long shutter speeds? <laughs> I've heard the uh, stories of people freezing like butterflies so they can, they could stay in place. I don't do that. I mean, well, honestly, there's actually naturally that can happen if there's like frost early fall because you still get butterflies in like September, uh, maybe October a little bit. And that early morning frost will freeze them. So they will be stuck for a little while and they can't move their wings because they're so delicate and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I try to keep things as natural as possible. So if it, if it flies away or, you know, flaps its wings away, stuff like that, like I just, you know, accept it. (laughs) Wait, wait, (laughs) you know, the patience is the name of the game. So you just kind of wait for the next one to arrive and be Mm pre-focused on, let's say a flower and just be ready for it. I was, uh, watching this youtube series called wild photo adventures it used to be on tv but now it's like on youtube there's one episode about uh this macro photographer that humanely as humanely as you can be he humanely captures insects in the wild and he has his own portable studio that he brings with him made out of like pvc pipes and they'll set everything up um keep the bird bird not bird what am i saying keep the insects like not sedated but keep them calm by creating like a little habitat and like shooting mm-hmm. them in like a, a studio with like a clean background and everything. Hmm. Uh, it was super cool. So there are humane ways to capture insects. Like I said, humane as you possibly can be. Um, but you definitely have to be an expert in order to do that safely. 
Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it takes a certain person to really get them under those controlled conditions and have the lighting. I mean, I, I guess I can appreciate that a little bit, but um, I find personally for me, I like a natural background behind it. Um, I got tons of dragonfly and damselfly shots of them on like boardwalks. Cause you know, of course they're really populated in wetlands um, in the summertime. Um, so it just kind of comes with the territory when you got wood planks situated about it and all that stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a matter of preference, I guess, at that point. Yeah. I mean, it all, yeah. Like you said, it all comes down to preference. Um, have you ever tried any, I don't know, maybe non living subjects, but have you ever tried any in studio macro? Uh, may, maybe. Yeah. I mean like non nature stuff, like uh-huh. now it's all indoors photography. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just stuff I'd done early on when I was doing classes and you have assignments and stuff, nothing too crazy. I don't think, but, um, you know, there's so much out in nature For like sure. to like small stuff to photograph, especially insects and flowers and you know everything else in between um that like you can never get bored like i could i could in theory do macro my entire life and there's macro photographers that are dedicated to that kind of mission and because mm-hmm. there's there's so much to i see. could do macro i could do macro in my backyard for my entire life i mean i don't it's not that big but there's oh, flowers yeah. grass you know trees that you know and and people may be thinking like what what is a boring old suburban lawn you know, what, 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 what does like the grass blades have to do? Well, I'm like, well, wait for a really dewy morning and then photograph the, there's water droplets on them. Like I've done that and it's great. You get some great photographs from that. Um, plant a garden, you get flowers. Um, you know, you get dragonflies, damselflies. If you get like one of those like artificial ponds, if you, you know, d- dug out one of those. Um, and then moss, like, shoot, I got so many moth photographs um, in like late summer, you know, there's really humid summer nights and about at the porch light and you just see these guys on these wall on my wall or whatever. And I just photograph them as you know, they are. So there's, there's tons of opportunities. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to go far. I think we touched on this last episode, but everyone really kind of starts as kind of an abstract macro kind of photographer, just kind of photographing the tiny details around their house and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot out your front door for sure. Mm-hmm. And like I find with macro, it's like it's kind of more on the artful side most of the time. You can do something that's very plainly, you know, documentative, like I said before. But um, something about macro, it just really opens up these creative possibilities that you don't get without just photographing something straight on without that perspective. I think it's really the almost the depth of field that makes it part of the reason it makes it so interesting because that is so shallow. Really, as mm-hmm. no matter what aperture you're shooting at, pretty much. I mean, obviously, if you go up to like f twenty two, it won't be shallow, but like f eleven, even you get that you can you can like almost see the lines of focus. You know, what I'm talking about like the mm-hmm. distinct like planes of focus. It's really cool, yeah. um, and as well, just humans can't see like that. I mean, that's just not how our eyes are designed. So it's just a whole different. It's almost like yeah, it's almost like you're seeing through like a bug's perspective, I guess, like like a fly or something. So it kind of has this weird, it has this weird look. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It just looks ethereal. Like this is the word I come back to. I think it's very dreamy. I mean, when, when you see those like spectacular, like macro photographers who like go in on like a insect's eye or something, like they fill the frame with that. It's just like simply marvelous. Like that's just (laughs) something you'll never see with your own eye. Like not even close. Yeah, my, my my photographs of the macro don't even like compare to that stuff. It's just insane how many probably shots they have to focus stack and just the amount. Of, uh, so yeah, but I think the macro thing, the beauty of it's like the amount of detail because you're getting so close. You just see much more detail than you normally would, like you said, with the human eye and such. I mean, no matter how many megapixels your camera is, you still can, like you said, capture an insane amount of detail. Like it's just it's crazy. Mm-hmm. crazy crazy that's that's i think that's the main um, reason why we do it yeah and obviously um you and i we we split our focus so we're not all macro so i'm sure if we, that's all we did we'd be you know i'd be occupied but like <laughs> i don't yeah. know if i want to do it all the time <laughs> uh-huh. you know yeah for sure yeah I, uh, but i i definitely include it in the nature photography category for sure and oh, oh, just as important as birds or landscapes it's mm-hmm. definitely a special place in there for me yeah definitely yeah and obviously macro doesn't have to be nature but like like we're saying it's a big part of i think of nature photography whether you do it or not doesn't matter 
Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. I will say, um, going back to, um, I guess, gear a little bit and settings, um, you can, if you want to, simulate the look of macro. It's not going to be true, like we said, one-to-one, uh, the ratio, but like it's going to simulate it a little bit. Um, and I tried this early on before I had an extension to, um, just a little, little list of settings, I guess I got from some kind of online course I was taking a couple of years back. Um, and like I said, don't follow these verbatim, but like maybe try this as a rule of thumb with your camera in front of you right now, let's say, uh, so put on some kind of lens of choice. It really doesn't matter. I don't think, um, shoot handheld going, uh, I believe with Canon's TV mode. So that'd be shutter, uh, priority. I'm not sure about what Nikon is or anyone else. But yeah, whatever your shutter priority is called. Um, and then kind of go through a, a rule of thumb of uh, 280th of a second, F6.3, and then or up to F11, depends, and then ISO 200. And just kind of use this as like a guideline to start with. And then just you know focus on a flower or something and see what happens. And then, yeah, yeah it'll create that look at least. It's not going to be very, very... It's going to be close, but not really. But it's something to try at least. Yeah, uh-huh. I think it really comes down to angle as well. Like if, even if you don't have gear, good gear, it really matters what angle you're getting at. So if you're standing at your natural height and shooting down at a flower, that's just not going to look good. You have to get down, like down on your knees and like shoot at the flower. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Perspective. And yeah, that's a whole nother topic really is the um, perspective you're at. Um, I find with a lot of flowers, uh-huh. I like to, my classic, like, I guess, look, it's kind of come like a, I don't know, a meme or something between, you know, between myself, I guess, is, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's like a quirk, like, but um, creative um, aspect of what I do. Um, so what I do is I have it, like I said, a tripod, and then I literally have it, I might have to extend the height so that it gets that distance just right with the, my gear and everything, but I like to point it straight down at like a flower, especially if it has like a nice face on it. So like a cone flower or something, you know, like a dahlia flower or something. Um, and so what you do is you just kind of get this nice overview of it, a nice face down, top down, I guess, and um, fills the frame, of course, since it's macro. And then I like to crop those the one by one square crops. And it makes it, it's, I made a lot of images, let's say my portfolio of flowers that way. Um, and I like that look. Uh, but yeah. I guess going with the perspective, you can do even like at the side of it. So it shows like a profile view. Um, I like to do that a lot. Um, but yeah, getting down, you know, kneeling down low, getting on its perspective of whatever it is you're photographing is a great, it's a great kind of rule of mind, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you ever tried like the under the flower perspective? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think with macro. I think I did it with like a wide angle look because it's kind of hard to do that i would think unless I, if it's like I a tall a flower couple, yeah i tried a couple with like 24 millimeters um it was not postable i would say not like instagram <laughs> postable but it wasn't horrible it was definitely interesting it's definitely thought provoking yeah it, was, it wasn't like downright terrible i'd imagine it'd be interesting though because uh, depending on how your lighting situation is i bet it'd be deep in shadow and you tried to like expose for it but it might be kind of silhouetted is that right yeah, uh, it, the one I when I did it, it was kind of a cloudy day, so it wasn't horrible. But yeah, there's still definitely some kind of a silhouette, kind of a reverse silhouette almost, because the flower is kind of bright because the sun, and then the like hitting the leaves. Because most petals are not actually fully solid. Like oh no, yeah, they're not. Yeah, so there's kind of some light poking through. So it was interesting. Definitely not good, <laughs> but still not horrible. Yeah. I guess the nice thing is those flowers aren't going anywhere like anytime soon, like in the same day, most of the time. So it's like, you can take your time and experiment with that kind of those more creative, you know, angles and such. Oh, um, so what would you say is your favorite season for shooting flowers? I would think it'd be spring, but, uh, I don't know. Um, like what I said, yeah, like I said, early, um, uh, early spring, definitely. Cause the ephemerals are so, um, I was just saying that, you know, flowers last a while, but like ephemerals, they, they can stay around a while, but it feels like they just go so quick because there's so many to see within a short amount of time. So you really have to be kind of like, you know, quick on your feet to see them all, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, even though they don't move really. Uh, but yeah, um, I would say early spring, summer is a good time just to see a variety of different classic, you know, annuals and perennials, um, depending on what you're looking for. But I would say if you want to see the most color, go and go to a really nice big prairie or meadow 
you know, in midsummer and you'll see tons of different varieties. Yeah, for sure. Um, any kind of winter flowers? Like I know sometimes you can, at least in Louisville, hear me out. It's kind of crazy, but there'll be these like warm spells for like a couple days and we'll have like, we always plant daffodils. So these daffodils will like sprout up in the middle of the winter. And it's just like the, I've taken some macros. It's just kind of a strange contrast, but it's like, I don't know. Really? Ever done any of that? Daffodils in the winter? No. <laughs> it's crazy. Louisville's got weird weather. <laughs> Is it something about down south now? <laughs> it's what probably the climate change, to be honest. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. it's It throws these kind of plants and stuff, you know, throw, throws them for a loop, really. Um, I know with the, uh, you ever heard of skunk cabbage? No, I have not. Okay, it's it's a weird name for like a weird um, plant that it like grows in wetlands and stuff, and it comes out very very early in spring, late summer. Not excuse me, not late summer, late winter. Um, so like early early March, even sometimes late February. But like this year, twenty twenty, it like came out in January because of the, like the warmer weather, and it was kind of it was freaky because it grows right you know right around the snow and stuff. It warms itself up. It's a weird plant. <laughs> Yeah. It, it looks almost alien too. So I've taken many macro photographs of it, but it's a, it's a cool plant, you know? So I guess that's kind of, you know, would you include yeah. that as winter? Uh, yeah, I probably, I think I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Uh, have you ever tried like moss macro photography? That can be pretty interesting. Moss. Yeah. I th- um, probably, probably in like a standard perspective, not macro, but I, I know I have taken images of that. But. Yeah, if you get like on like a level plane with the moss, it can be really cool, especially like with like moisture mm. or like snow. You, you jogged my memory. Yeah, there's there's one. I don't know my. I'm not well versed in my moss, but there's a one. <laughs> there's one. It's called carpet moss, and it grows. Um, I've seen on like dead tree stumps where it's like nice and flat. So you get down the eye level, and it does kind of look like it's raising out of the ground, sort of. Same idea, at least. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say do you have like an all-time favorite flower? Uh, coneflowers and zinnias, probably. You know, th- those are always there's quite a few varieties of both of them, different colors, um, and they usually like to stick around for a good portion of the year too. Yeah, coneflowers are very beautiful. I've seen some on your Instagram. You've got some great pictures of those. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, fortunately, they're quite abundant around here. So you just kind of end up seeing them like at everywhere. Gardens, like I said, prairies, a little bit everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I'd say this is probably out of pure nostalgia, uh, but it would be crocuses. Uh, one of my first shots I was kind of proud of was a crocus shot. Nowadays, it's terrible, but <laughs> you know how that goes. But um, <laughs> it was one of the first shots I'm proud of, and I still photograph them to this day. Um, you know what I'm talking about crocuses no i do not they're kind of the early spring flower they're very very small um very colorful um they really don't have like stems really they're kind of pretty much grow on the ground almost Hmm. uh it's just kind of an interesting flower so Hmm. i don't know if we have them up here honestly i mean you probably do it's not too far but is there is that like is that the common name for it or is there something else uh, I think it's crocus. So I'll, I'll look it up real quick. But yeah, I'm looking it up too. So March, April. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it kind of looks like something similar to a daffodil or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, and see how they're kind of. I mean, they have stems, obviously, but they're very low to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of images of them, like in the winter snow and stuff too. Go ahead. So. The crocus flowers in particular, they have kind of a cool gradient to their colors. So it kind of almost looks like you're blowing out the highlights on some parts, but you're really not. So that kind of provides an interesting look to it. And it's neat because, yeah, like with most flowers, they start out white, pure white most of the time. Depends on the species, I guess. Not all of them Mm -hmm. are the same. But then they get this fuller color as they kind of develop and kind of like their life cycle. So I'm seeing ones with, like in this example, I'm seeing ones where it's like, almost pure white. Then it gets like the, you know, the purple magenta streaks across the petals. And then there's ones where it's just like entirely just purple or some kind of like lavender color. So are there any other additional techniques you use for macro? 
Uh, there's one I've been using more recently. It's called focus stacking. It's a, it's more of a technical term for compiling multiple images, but they're kind of all focused on a different point within whatever scene you're looking at. Uh, so in macros case, it actually provides a really deeper depth of field um, than you would otherwise with just one shot. So that's something I've been trying out a little bit more. Um, it's something you need specialized software for, like your your typical Lightroom, or I don't believe so, or typical like photo editor can't do it on its own. Um, and you need like some kind of specialized software to compile those images together and uh, complete your, your final photograph, I guess, in that case. Yeah, so are you kind of a manual focus stacker or does that software, does that do all the... Um, in the field, yeah, I think it's probably almost like something of a, like a requirement to manual focus with focus stacking because you really can't do it like autofocus, if that makes sense, because the whole it kind uh, of I actually really I, I, mean, I actually I, use autofocus. Well, I don't do a lot for macro, but for landscapes, you can just put the focus. Okay, on yeah, okay, that's places. fair. Well, with something, let's just say with this example, since something is what we're photographing is so small, you have to use that finer detail of like the the fine tuning of the manual focus um, to get it just right. You know, and plus you'd want to anyways, because like I'm pretty sure for most of us, we use manual for you know most of our photography so you kind of have to do it for that creative control um but yeah i mean like i would use manual focus in the field and then on the computer like i said with the software it kind of just you could throw all the raw files or whatever jpegs i guess and it you know kind of just sandwiches them all together for you and then you can fine-tune the adjustments just basic adjustment sliders from there um but yeah it, it does all the work for you which is really really nice automates it pretty much yeah uh, one thing I will say with that, and it's nice you have the ability to adjust. Um, I did a, a focus stack on this like beautiful, uh, I believe it was goldenrod. No, not goldenrod, but maybe cone flowers. Um, these beautiful flowers. Um, and I did like a focus stack. And unfortunately, there's some wind. So there's some ghosting. And that, that can definitely be a problem with focus stacking. Um, that's because when you try to blend the images, the flowers may have moved slightly between the exposures because of the wind. Mm. So you do have to keep that in mind. And it, it can create kind of like a weird kind of like ring around the subject. Have you ever had yeah. problems with that? I've had that with HDR as well, but yeah, macro. Yeah. It's, there's been a few times that sort of thing has happened and you just, um, you can try to remedy it in post, but you just might have to like scrap the one file that doesn't line up quite right. If it has been a windy day, but um, I guess, there's one thing I'd give as like a pointer to beginners is to try to, unless you want to get something that's creatively blurred intentionally, just like our last episode said about, um, unless you want that, go ahead. But like, if you want a tack sharp photo of a flower or something, go out on a very windless day. You know, that's all I can really say about that. You're just going to be, you're going to be a lot less frustrated. I think <laughs> your patience and, and everything. Even I, even I would say if it's a windless day, um, make sure you're at least keeping that shutter speed at like, I don't know, would you say like 150th, 150th of a second at least probably? Uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty slow. I mean, I, honestly, I would do like 250th or something, but I, I, I keep my shutter really fast most of the time, just in case. I like to be better safe than sorry. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it just depends. Or even go out on like a day where it's a little breeze, but it kind of, you know, it comes and goes. And that way you can kind of just pause, take a shot or a few, and then just wait for, you know, the wind to die, die down or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's something, this, this whole macro thing, it's something, it's neat, you know, of course, but it's something you really have to experiment with um, hands-on, you know, just go out with your gear and see what you can really come up with and check your results on the computer later on. Or I guess if you shoot for film, sure. check on the dark room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So whatever you, you may use. And like we mentioned earlier, macro is just really just all about experimentation. There's so much stuff you can do, so oh, many yeah. different perspectives. It's, it's um, just plain fun, you know? Yeah. I found it to be a big part of my enjoyment of photography outdoors. For sure. Um, say you're out in a landscape and you're not having fun doing the wide scene, why not just <laughs> zoom in a little bit and go down to the floor, to the forest floor, and see what you can get there. Definitely. I, I know, um, I know you've mentioned it. I posted one photo recently on Instagram. That's like, it's very popular. It's the new England Aster flower shot. And I was 
had the most gorgeous like late summer sunset. It was like the ball of fire. You know, the sky was entirely orange. It was gorgeous. I was at like this local wetland that's a few minutes from my house. It's one I've been to many millions of times, it feels like. But I was over here just fixated on pointing my camera down instead of up at the sunset because I didn't have a good composition and other reasons. But I was so fixated on this aster like cluster of flowers that I was just like, this is about as good as it gets, you know? And it's like, it just depends on the situation. But like in that case, I'm like, this flower means more to me right now than the sunset, at least from a photography standpoint. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about uh, macro or anything close up? I don't, I don't think so. No. I mean, we kind of, we touched on a decent amount of, I guess, things and stuff, you know, tips for beginners and uh, personally what we all, both of us use for, you know, our workflow and setup, but yeah, something, something to try out. So hopefully any of you guys enjoy it or yeah, leave us comments if you do do macro and share your photos. Okay. Um, so you got any announcements, Ryan? Um, I guess, I guess a couple I could rattle off real quick. Um, I did my first engagement shoot outdoors, of course. Um, clients really liked it. I was a little nervous the whole time. I was like, I don't know if I can really pull this off, <laughs> but, uh, managed to do it pretty well, I think. And they were happy with the photos. Um, so that turned out pretty well. Um, and other than that, um, stay tuned. I sh- I keep saying it, hyping it up, but calendar and a photo book by the end of the year, I'm going to make those two happen and they'll be for sale, of course. So you know, keep an eye on that, I guess, on my website and social. For sure. How about you? Um, I actually just completed my calendar. So, um, Ooh, okay. If, okay. You, if you guys, I haven't, I'm working on the website early stages, so I'm not going to be selling it through there. Uh, I'm probably going to do just Instagram story and stuff. Um, can, but, we look, can we look at a January 1st release date for your website? <laughs> uh yeah i think so yeah it's gonna be like a christmas cool. break project for me so cool cool yeah. even better dude awesome uh-huh um so just dm me uh if you'd like one i it's a pretty large calendar actually um i'd say it's probably 21 inches i think Jeez. i think that was the size yeah 21 um yeah <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> big calendar and i did like <laughs> month it's like month based so um the photos I took in January go in January or okay. my favorite photo in January goes in January. So I didn't like that. Of course. Uh, and it's it, just a basic it, white design, just very minimalistic. Is but. it, is it landscapes, landscapes only? Uh, no, it's not landscapes only, but it's landscape orientation. So it kind of fills the whole. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so it's got like birds and yeah, it's got macro pretty much anything. landscapes, wildlife. Yeah. Okay, cool. How much is it? If you don't yeah. mind me asking. <laughs> uh, I, can I get back to you on that? Because okay. I really haven't thought about that. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just just let us all know. Yeah. I Yeah, I'm not going to be Bilem. expecting too many people. So you don't have to buy one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. Uh, okay. Gosh. Okay. Yeah. It'll be fine. All right. Though. Well, cool. I think that's it, guys. So uh, yeah. thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for watching the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.